And we'll take us through this month on the power of stewardship. In February, our theme will be the power of love. Our message title for today is Make God Your Source. The first verse of Psalm 24 is worth memorizing. The earth is the Lord's. How many believe it? And all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. It's a great statement from the Old Testament. Speaking of the ownership of God over us and over all that he has made. And then the verse in Romans 8, verse 17, right in the middle it says, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We need to focus in on that because in that statement we learn of resources that we don't learn out of textbooks down here. We learn of available resources that most people do not know anything about. A steward is what we are referred to, referred as being in the Bible, a steward of all that God owns. A steward is one who manages another's property or another's financial affairs. And that's what we are, stewards, making God our source. I read about Fritz Kreisler, the Austrian-American violinist, widely quoted as having said, I was born with music in my system. I knew musical scores instinctively before I knew my ABCs. It was a gift of providence. I did not acquire it. So I do not even deserve thanks for my music. Music is too sacred to be sold. The outrageous prices that musical celebrities charge today are truly a crime against society, Fritz Chrysler said. I never look upon the money I earn as my own. It is public money. It is only a fund entrusted to me for proper disbursement. I am constantly endeavoring to reduce my needs to a minimum. I feel morally guilty in ordering a costly meal, for it deprives someone else of a slice of bread, some child perhaps of a bottle of milk. My beloved wife feels exactly the same way about these things as I do. In all these years of my so-called success, we have not built a house for ourselves. Between us and it stand all the homeless in the world. End of quote from Fritz Chrysler. I couldn't help but think that that stewardship at its best First, acknowledging God as the source of all good gifts. And secondly, humbly using them to bring happiness to others. That is what life is all about. I don't believe God would ask all of us 
to go perhaps to the extent of Fritz Chrysler when he couldn't even build for himself a home, but that was his conviction. But I admire the humility by which he looked at the things God had put within his hand as a steward. That spirit needs to permeate the church of Jesus Christ today, a church that spends more for dog food than it does for missions. Because that's a fact in America today. We are stewards of what the owner has entrusted to our care. I want you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 25 for a moment and Look with me at the parable that is known as the parable of the talents. There are some things in Matthew 25 that I believe we need to observe as we talk about God being our source. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now the interpretation is very simple for that 14th verse. He is the master who is traveling to a far country and who will return. And before he goes, he gives to his servants things to use. He delivers to them his goods. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on his journey. Now let me pause to say that a talent in Jesus' day was a very specific sum of money. If Jesus were here telling the story today, he would very likely use the term dollars. Our Bible would read, to one he gave five million dollars. To another he gave two million dollars. To another he gave one million dollars. That's the way he would tell the story if he were here telling it today. In that day, they understood that he was talking about money very specifically about money. If he were in Germany, he would say he gave five million francs or two million francs. The idea we need to get in our mind is money, money, money. The dreadful word, money. He gave to them according to their ability and the Lord knows what he can trust us with. That's one part of this parable. Now, how long he was gone, we don't know, but we believe he was gone for a long period of time. And then he came back, and he gathered those three servants together, and he said, what did you do with my money? He did not say, your money. He said, my money. And the first servant presented to him $10 million. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
The second one stepped forward and presented to him $4 million. Well done, good and faithful servant. The third, by this time, was embarrassed. He stepped forward and handed him one million, the same as he took from the master months before. And it is at this point that the story gets very interesting. Verse 26, his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy, underline that word lazy, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to have deposited my money. See, there it is. My money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the money from him and give it to him who already has $10 million. For to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance. Wonderful word. How many of you would like to have abundance? Go ahead, raise your hand. Wouldn't hurt you to have abundance if you could be trusted with it. If you weren't wicked and you weren't lazy. Abundance. But from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. See, the Lord thinks very strongly and firmly about things he entrusts to us. If God is the owner of all things, then we are the stewards to whom God entrusts his possessions. And he wants to bless us, not to cast us into outer darkness. That's not God's design. That's not God's desire. He wants to bless us with abundance. The key to the whole story is how we react to the giver. And there's one key word in that passage, and it's in verse 25, where the servant said, I was afraid. See, as long as you're afraid of God, who is your source, you will never know the abundance of God because you cannot be afraid of God and know his abundance. You have to know that God loves you, that God really wants to bestow upon you his riches spiritually and materially, that it is God's desire that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That's the God I know. God is not against me and my family. God is not an enemy of this church. God is a friend of mine. He's a friend of my family. He's my best friend. He's my source. He's the source for this church. But we cannot be afraid of him. We must come and embrace him as a son would embrace his father and a father his son. We learn that from this great story in Matthew 25. Get your attitude right about God. And I believe the owner who entrusts to us his goods 
will bestow upon us riches in the Spirit and riches in this world if we use them as stewards should. There is no lack with God, never has been, never will be. There is no lack for all the vision God has given us as a people. There is no lack for you or for your family. The problem is with us. That is why I want to devote the rest of this month to this theme of stewardship. Now, I have two points for you today. One, there are no shortages with God. Shortages. We hear about them all the time. Energy shortages. Rancho Seco is down again. Shortages. We hear about paper shortages, and we're encouraged to recycle, to take care of the shortages. Food shortages in various parts of the world. Even gas shortages. All man-made. Hear me. All man-made. Not God-made. Man-made shortages. The result of sin and slothfulness, abuse and misuse is all around us. Shortages. But there are no shortages with God. On the authority of the word, I can tell you there are no shortages with God. If you need real estate, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Claim your part as a steward. Say, God, if the earth is yours, then I want a little piece of real estate to manage for you until you take me home. Nothing wrong with that. Don't pay rent all your life. Get some equity built up. Plug into the source of all real estate. He's the best real estate broker you'll ever meet. He owns it all. Hallelujah. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, if you need a car or a camel, the Bible says, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills significant term in the day it was written. Now, it might read today, every beast of the forest is mine and every Cadillac is mine. Whatever you like, just put it in there. God is your source. The cattle belong to God. And all of the finances are God's. The Bible says so. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Haggai 2, 8. What a source. Why do we sit here in poverty and in want? I'll tell you why. We have not made him our source. We've been afraid of him. We've tried to do it ourselves. We haven't come to God and say, oh God. Oh, God, I want to be a steward that you can be proud of. I want to use all of your resources for your glory and for man's good. And you know what? God will begin to pour resources your way because God owns it all. 
and he can share what he owns with you to use for your good and for his glory. No shortages with God, man-made, all of them. Then we see in the Bible the word abundance. John 10, 10, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That doesn't sound like poverty. That doesn't sound like want. Abundantly. And you see that over and over again in the Word. Romans 8, 17, we said it together. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. God is our source. If God loves us, then we are an heir of somebody who cares about us. And our elder brother, Jesus Christ, we are a joint heir with. And God says, I will bestow upon you life, not death. I will bestow upon you plenty, not poverty. I will be your source as you become my servant. Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. No shortages whatsoever with God. I traced this through a little further and I, I saw some interesting things in Scripture. I thought of Peter when he was in the boat, Jesus walking on the water toward him. And he wanted to walk on that water just like Jesus was walking on the water. And Jesus bade him come. And he got out, I'm sure, very gingerly testing, and sure enough, it held him. Long as his eyes were focused on the source, he walked. But he felt a spray of water, and he happened to look down to see where that was coming from. And when he did, he began to sink. His eyes were taken off the source. And when they got back on the source, he was saved. He was spared. There was sufficient power to hold him up when his eyes were on the source. But you get your eyes off the source, friend, and you're going to sink just like he was sinking. And that is our biggest problem. I have a feeling that's our biggest problem in America. We're big enough to handle our affairs. America's mighty. America's strong. What's happening to America? Self-sufficient. Our eyes are not on the source. But when we get our eyes on the source, there is stability and strength. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the story of Elisha, the prophet of God. When Israel was at war with Syria, Elisha had a servant by the name of Gehazi. I've always liked that name. It just has a good ring to it. Say it. Gehazi. Say it. Gehazi. Doesn't that sound good? Why don't you name your son Gehazi? Just a nice ring to it. Elisha's servant was Gehazi. And Gehazi went out one morning and he looked over the city wall and it gave him heart failure. 
He came running to Elisha, the prophet of God, because he could not believe his eyes. The Syrian army had laid siege to the city during the night, and they were totally surrounded. There was absolutely no way out, which is how it is with some of you here this morning. You have so many bills, you say there's no way out. The mortgage is so big, there's no way out. The problem is so big, there's no way out. Your eyes are bugging out with the problem. The doctor has said there's no hope, not soul. Elisha said, what are you talking about, Gehazi? He listened calmly. But he didn't wring his hands, and he didn't break out in a sweat. He didn't even send in a prayer request. He said to Gehazi in verse 16, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now at that point, Gehazi could have marched his prophet elder off to the psychiatrist. Because what he said didn't make sense in the natural. But when God is your source, you don't look at the natural. We're talking about supernatural. And after Elisha said, do not fear, he prayed. And it's an amazing prayer, and it's in verse 17. He said, Lord... I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And oh, you don't know how I pray that today. Open their eyes that they may see. Now Gehazi's physical eyelids were already open. They were open really wide. This was amazing. But the man's spirit was not open to all of the source of victory and blessing that was available. And that's what Elisha was praying for. Open his understanding. And in verse 17 it says, without any break in the text, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And what did he see? Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. The angels were all around them. They are more with us than with them. If you see the angels, you see more than the problem. You see more than the mortgage. You see more than the piling bills. God is our source. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Hallelujah. Oh, you say that was one unusual circumstance. Well, would you like another one? His twin, Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, met a widow at Zarephath. She was at the end of her rope. Just like some of you, you came down here this morning and said to one of our leaders, I'm at the end of my rope. So was this widow woman. No money. Only enough ingredients to make one meal for herself and her son. They were going to eat that meal and D-I-E, die. So God said to Elijah, tell this woman to make a small cake for you first. Thanks a lot, God. Here is this woman and her son with enough to make one meal, and you tell me to tell her 
to feed me. Big deal. Wouldn't you like that? But Elijah knew where his source was, and he didn't hesitate. He said, lady, you go make a cake for me first. And something within her said, this is a man of God, and she did it. That's the amazing part to me, that she did it. See, the act of faith. That's where we are this morning. If we want to move into the resources of God, it's got to be a step of faith. I believe what this book says. And so she did it. And he ate. He said to her, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now get this. The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Ah, you say, he said it, but what happened? Well, read on. He ate the cake, and every time she went to the barrel, there was flour there. And every time she went to the jar, there was oil there until the Lord sent rain. They both learned that God was their source, the woman and Elijah the prophet, that God deals in abundance. He said, just tell her, there's no shortage in my kitchen. In my pantry, there's plenty. So you just tell her that if she does this in response to my word, that the flour will be there and the oil will be there, and both she and her son will live. And the Bible clearly says that's exactly what happened. The barrel of meal did not waste. The cruise of oil did not fail until the day the Lord sent rain upon the earth when there was abundance for everybody. May God your source. God knows no shortages. Secondly, I want you to know that God is the source of wisdom. I think we need to read Proverbs and read Proverbs and read Proverbs and read Proverbs. Chapter 4, verse 5 of Proverbs says, Get wisdom, get understanding. You say, why do you want to talk about wisdom? Because if you have God's wisdom, you're going to prosper. If you have your own, you're going to fail. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Verse 12 of Proverbs 4. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. When does that happen when you get wisdom? Chapter 8, verse 35 of Proverbs. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Finds me. Who's me? Wisdom. Whoever finds wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. That leads me to tell you that God wants us to effectively manage our lives and our affairs. 
That is what Jesus was pointing out in the Matthew 25 passage. He expects us to manage well, which reveals our faith in him as our source. Get wisdom. Now let me give you some very practical pointers today after accepting God as your source and getting wisdom. Here is the wisdom that I want to leave with you today. Start this way. Pay your tithes and your offerings. Oh, I get mad when people fight that. Spiritually angry. Because they are withholding the resources of God in their life when they fight God on tithes and offerings. But you say, Pastor, how can 90% be more than 100%? I don't know, except that I write in between 90 and 100 one word, God. And God makes the 90% go farther than 100%. The children of Israel in the wilderness did not have their shoes wearing out nor their clothes falling off their backs. They did not get sick. God was their source. And if you trust him, he will be yours. But you've got to start by giving him a tenth of everything you earn into the storehouse. Not to Tulsa, not to Charlotte, not to Los Angeles. Right here in the storehouse, the tithe belongs in the storehouse. And God will honor you when you put the tithe where it belongs, a tenth of everything you earn, a tenth of every profit, businessman, a tenth of every house sale profit. Oh, really? Yeah. Hard? No, because God will bless you. It's his word. Don't rob God. Don't be in debt to God. Wisdom. Don't borrow money you can't afford to pay back. It happens with people in our church. They come to me with their woes. I can't pay this back. Why did you borrow it? Well, I expected this and this to happen. The Bible says that the borrower becomes a servant to the lender. And we are never to put ourselves into that position. Wisdom. Don't borrow money you can't afford to pay back. Wisdom. Use credit cards sparingly. Wisdom. Credit cards are at best a tool of convenience, perhaps a system of accounting, but the bill must be paid in full every 30 days. N-F-U-L-L. Full. Full. You get charged 18% minimum if you don't pay it in full. Say it with me. Full. Full. Spell it. F-U-L-L. Full. Wisdom. Get wisdom. Get understanding. 
You'll never find in Pastor Cole's drawer those kind of bills, ever. That's why I can take my wife out to dinner when I want to. I spend it on her instead of in the bank. Makes for wonderful relationships. Wisdom. Fourth, avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Oh, brother. <laughs> get me going on this one. What tragic circumstances are around us because we think we're going to make it big with one big fat killing, and we end up starving to death. God never intended for you to win the lottery, so just forget it. I have a word for you. It is not God's will for you to win the lottery. Quit buying those stupid tickets if you've ever started. Dumb. Ignorant. Get wisdom. Get understanding. If you want it, I would pray such conviction on you that you'd have to give it all to God anyway. Get rich quick schemes. People standing in line because we're going to get rich quick. God meant you to work and get wisdom in the process. Fifth, be careful in what you purchase. Before buying, ask yourself three questions. One, do I need this? Two, do I need this? Three, do I need this? There is a fourth question if you want to tack it on. Will this purchase please God? I'll guarantee you'll cut down half of your purchases at least if you'll ask those four questions. Wisdom. Six, or is it seven? One, two, three, four, five. Six, don't write checks unless you have the money in the bank. Wisdom. We have people around here sometime calling in on Monday saying, please don't deposit my check until next week. The money isn't enough. Good night. You think God is impressed with you writing a check when there's no money to cover it? That's dishonesty. That's phoniness. Wisdom. Get understanding. Don't write checks unless there's money to cover it. That's stupidity. But I'm trusting God. Seven, don't borrow to purchase depreciable items. You never get ahead. Don't borrow to purchase depreciable items. Now, a home is not depreciable. It's appreciable, if you are wise. I've never lost money in a home in all my life. Always gained. And I thank God for it, and I give him credit for it. Before we purchase, we ask God, would this be to your glory before we sell? Is it time, Lord? Is this the best time? Every time God has honored that, and we've been able to bless his work 
because of it. But depreciable items, never borrow for depreciable items. You never get ahead. Well, you say, what about cars and all of this? Save it up and pay cash. Drive the one you've got 36 more months instead of giving the money to somebody else. Put it in the bank, get some interest on it, and then walk in with a joy in your heart and lay it on the table and say, I want that one, and there's the money. Boy, you'll never be so free as when you do it that way. Hallelujah. You say, man, this is an unusual sermon. Yeah, because Proverbs is filled with unusual statements about living. I'll give you one more. Develop a plan of investing 10% of your net income. It will grow and you will fulfill Proverbs 13, 22, which says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. When I was 25 years of age, I decided to be a good man in this area, and I began to set aside just a tiny little bit of my meager income for the future. I do that today in much greater capacity than then but I want you to know God is blessing it. And I thank God I can read Proverbs 13, 22 and break out in a smile. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Why? Because he learned to give the tenth to God and offerings above that and a tenth at least of his net income for the future. And it grows and it grows and it grows at somebody else's expense and blesses the family and the work of God all through the years. It'll keep working even after you're gone. Get wisdom. Get understanding. You make God your source when you depend upon his wisdom, when you honor him with the first fruits. And with one day in seven, when you honor him in that way, you get wisdom. You don't compromise. You don't cheat. You don't say, well, God, sorry, this Lord's Day. Well, you know I've got to get down there and take inventory. Or you know, Lord, I've got to go visit Aunt Susie in Podunk Hollow. You don't cheat on God. You take that day and you give it to God just like you give your money to God. And God pours blessing into your life and into your family and healing and his riches because that's the way he is. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, Luke 11 says, how much more does your heavenly Father want to give good gifts to those that ask him? Your checking account is something that needs month-to-month -month resuscitation. And I'll tell you how you can give it that. Getting a tape of this sermon and memorizing it following it step by step, point by point. Make God your source. I've got two things to say in conclusion. Don't be lazy. There's a bit of that in all of us. But you've got to fight it every day of your life. Don't be lazy. Remember that word in Matthew 25? He was lazy. We all have to kick ourselves out of bed once in a while. When that alarm went off at 5 this morning and it was 35 degrees outside, do you think I wanted to get up in the natural? It was so cozy in there. 
I heard my wife breathing heavily, knowing she would stay in there for probably two more hours. It isn't fair! But I kicked myself out onto that cold floor. Went and turned the heat up so she'd be comfortable when she got up. Got here to take care of my obligations. There's a little bit of lazy in all of us. But you fight it. and You say, I'm going to be a good steward today of what God gave me. And don't be a loose liver. Anybody whose liver is loose is going to die. <laughs> Proverbs 23, 2021. 20, a man who loves pleasure becomes poor. Ooh, is that in the Bible? That's why I said read Proverbs. A man who loves pleasure becomes poor. Wine and luxury are not the way to riches. Ooh, it's right there, oh my goodness. Don't be a loose liver in 89. The power of stewardship. Don't be lazy. Don't be a loose liver. Put your money where it's going to count. Who is your source? Is your employer your source? Is your cleverness your source? God help you. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 says, and Proverbs 3, 6 says, In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. God wants to crown my efforts with success. I say, sick them, Lord. I make you my source. I know you have no shortages. I gain wisdom as I read your word and pray and seek your counsel. And my life gets better and better because of the principles that I will stake my life on that I've shared with you today. Now God open their eyes that they may see. Shall we pray? Father, in Jesus' name, this sermon can help this crowd in 89, perhaps like nothing else, because one of the great things we've found, Lord, in life that robs us of spiritual power is financial struggle. It drains us. And so we covet for this congregation liberty, victory, we covet that we may walk with the God of abundance, the God of no shortages, the God who can show us where to get a good job, the God who can give us ideas that will help us increase our ability to give and to touch men, the God who wants our families to be happy without pressure, to live in this world as an example of the God who owns everything, and to entrust to his servants all of his good.